the the fewer uh, different kinds of service levels and packages you can offer, the better. The more you put out there, package A, B, C, D, E, and F, that is inviting your potential client to nickel and dime the heck out of you. I want this, but I don't want that. Why am I paying you this price for your C package when I can get it all for much less money for E and just add on one other thing? It invites the novice potential client to then dictate what your services should be worth. And that's no position. You don't want to be in that position at all. Um, so what you should do is... Oh man, there's more from where that came from. Welcome to the Wedding Video Boss Podcast, where we talk about the business of being a wedding creative and a sneak peek into my world as a wedding videographer. I'm your host, Paul Santiago, and today we are talking about pricing strategy. Not just any regular pricing strategy. We're talking about the right strategy to target the right market. Your instructor for the day is Valerie Gernhauser, and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. So sit back, relax, because Valerie is going to change your life. She's almost ready, so let's start the show. Valerie is a recovering attorney, Yale grad, pug lover, Springsteen fanatic, and a Florida native. Calm, cool, and collected is her mantra. She is a natural-born leader that takes pride in moving people, creating memorable milestones, and maintaining poise under pressure. As a thought leader and industry expert in the event space, she's grateful to share her knowledge on national platforms such as the Engage Luxury Wedding Business Summit, Truvail Workshop, Cultivate Retreat, Munaluchi's Coterie Retreat, and honored to present as a keynote speaker at SEPA, ILEA, NACE, and WIPA events across the country. She's very proud of the success of her Sapphire Session Speaking Tour, a specialized program for wedding planners and event designers aimed at elevating event industry best practices for the benefit of the greater good. She likes getting lost in anthropology, me too, spontaneous road trips, mixing metals and prints, kitchen dance parties with their daughters, and getting her hands dirty in a flower bucket or two. She's a consummate overachiever and a habitual mover and shaker. She considers herself very fortunate to bear witness to unfeathered, intrepid, voracious love stories on Saturdays. She's living the life she imagined. Good for her. And you'll see why. Friends, Help me in welcoming Valerie Gernhauser. Hey, Valerie. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited because one of my favorite topics is to talk about pricing and the evolution of your business going from starting out to how we're going to build your brand. But at the same time, we're also going to build your, your pricing structure, which is I love because I like making money. Yes, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> so before we start, I would love to know, just to break the ice, tell us something about yourself that people probably don't know about you. 
Um, this is a question I love to answer. Just my very close inner circle of people actually know this about me and just know how crazy I am for it. But I am a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, like massive since I was a baby. So um, one of my favorite things to do is listen to him. I've been to see him live, I think 13 times. It's been a while wow. since my last concert, like seven years. So I've been itching to go. I did not get to see him on Broadway recently. He just ended his um, little stint on Broadway, but I'm a huge fan of the boss. You know, I growing up in the Philippines, the first time I've ever heard a Bruce Springsteen song was from the movie Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Secret Garden. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Ever since uh, I just started exploring and and then when we came here, my friends, they listened to Bruce Springsteen and wow, he's really good. <laughs> he is. He's really good. He's a very good um, lyricist, songwriter, musician, of course. Um, I like his earlier stuff. His first two to three albums are some of my favorite. The like super commercial stuff I, I, you know, I can listen to for a bit and then I like to dive into some of his uh, lesser known um, full albums. So I just think he's a hard worker, a wonderful artist. He's been very inspiring to me at different um, times of my life. So that is, um, that's my secret. That's my thing that people don't really realize or expect about me unless you've known me for a very long time. So that's so cool. Oh, since we're already talking about the earlier days, let's share your story of how you got into the industry so that people who look up to you, cause, because you're one of the biggest names in the wedding industry, let's share it to people who look up to you how you started and what you're up to right now. Sure. Um, I mean, I came into this industry completely by accident. Like I find a lot of my colleagues, um, you know, have fallen into the wedding business. I graduated from law school in 2009, fully intending to um, become an attorney. And that was in the height of the 2008 credit crisis and the massive loss of jobs and the constriction of the legal field as a whole across the country it was very, very difficult to um, get a legal job. And um, so I had gotten married also in 2009 to my husband who I met in law school. And we both um, sort of lost the opportunities that we did have to join a firm. And um, so we decided to start our own law firm together. And he's from New Orleans and I'm not. So it was natural for him to sort of build a client base from friends and family and people that he knew and connections he already had in place. And I'm not from New Orleans originally, I'm from Florida. And so I knew a lot about weddings, having just gotten married and planned my own wedding myself. So I, I'm totally one of those brides turned wedding planner um, that uh, I just decided to do this as a temporary fix to my um, unemployment status and realized that this is something that I could really do something with. I could um, make an impact on the New Orleans um, wedding market, which was my first um, sort of goal to change the way weddings were happening here. After Katrina, there were so many people coming to this city um, to get married and, um, but not a lot of service providers that were serving at the level that the clients were expecting coming from bigger markets like New York and LA and San Francisco that I was finding. So I set out to start my own business 
and I called it Sapphire Events, um, thinking one day I might want to sell the business. And if I, you know, decided to become an attorney, I couldn't sell something that had my specific name on it, but I could sell something that was a brand. Um, and I'm a September baby and Sapphire is my birthstone. So I said, well, you know, that's a little something different and something blue and, um, you know, might be intriguing to the right kind of clientele. And um, I had worked for another wedding planner before and I'd also worked at a wedding venue for like a, a minute. And what I knew at the time I was working for these other entities was that um, they were not charging enough. Specifically, the planner I was working for was not charging enough for what um, she was doing and the amount of hours we were putting in collectively to work on each one of the events. So when I started my own business, I knew I wanted to raise my price. I wanted to open up with my price higher than what um, I knew was being charged in our market. Um, and then I would just keep raising it from there. So I started out at $4,800 flat fee for full planning. And my service levels at the time were full planning. This was in 2011 is when I started my business, I should say. Um, full planning, partial planning, month of, day of, a la carte, whatever. We'll deliver your welcome bags to your hotel if that's all you want kind of thing. I mean, we were just aiming to please whatever you needed. We would do it and we would come up with a figure, pull it basically out of the air and charge a client for it. So 4,800 was for full planning. My first client that came to me was a bride from Texas planning a destination to New Orleans wedding and only wanted to pay 3,500. So I said, okay, well, I'll take it, even though it's less than what I want because um, I needed something on the books. So 3,500, then the next two that came along for full planning, I charged them 4,500. Then I went up the next two brides that booked me to 6,000 and then the next two to like 6,500 or 7,000. And I, to me, that's a lot of money. And um, I was thinking, gosh, these people are crazy. They're spending so much money on a planner. Um, it, it just uh, so naive at the time. Um, of course, working very hard at the, at, in 2012 and 2013, each of those years respectively, um, my first two full years in business, uh, we worked 47 weddings a year apiece. And it was myself and I had made my first hire um, that started halfway through 2012. Um, his name is Jack. He's still with me today. And the oh, two wow. of us worked... 47 weddings at like the height of the start of our business. And that was thrilling and exhilarating and exhausting. Um, but I realized that that's not necessarily a good thing to be booked that much. And I wanted to work um, smarter, not harder. So how was I going to reduce the number of events that we were working and make the same, if not more money? So obviously raising prices is the way to do that. So I had decided to toy with what I'd heard at some conferences that some planners were charging a percentage. I wanted to charge a percentage too, because it seems to me to make a lot of sense that you could capture the scale of an event as it inevitably changes if you're charging a percentage from the outset. Um, because one of the struggles that a lot of planners face and it, back then and still today is um, the client comes in 
at the initial interview thinking they want one thing from you and then it snowballs into something much bigger and much more involved than either of you signed up for and yet we are already knee deep in the process and we've committed long ago what our fee will be so it's harder to capture um, compensation for a an increase in scale and scope of an event so percentage pricing uh, i didn't quite know how to sell it so after a few um, potential clients questioned well why a percentage and you know i just i'm not really comfortable thinking that you're just going to raise the give us the most expensive um, invoices and vendors to work with just so you can make more money, which is, I mean, kind of true. I can see why they were asking me that. Um, I abandoned percentage pricing right away and said, no, I can't do this. This is, this is too tricky to sell. But my strategy was to charge a percent of what the clients were telling me that their overall budget was. And so I started charging 10% of their budget at that initial meeting. And I had a client who sat down with me. Um, it was the bride, the groom, the mother of the bride, the father of the bride, the brother of the bride, which should have been my first like red flag that we had this whole committee. I have to meet with six or seven people total. It was insane. And they said, we're going to spend $85,000 on our event for 200 people seated dinner in new Orleans at a fancy hotel. And, um, and this is what it's going to be. And I said, okay, great. That sounds lovely. They seem like lovely people. Um, so I'll charge 10% of 85,000. My flat fee will be $8,500. And those folks spent very close to 170,000 on their event, all said and done. They drove me into the ground. They were completely irresponsible irresponsible with boundaries, personal and otherwise with me. And I walked away from their wedding day saying, I'm never going to do another wedding again. I'm cashing in all of my chips. I am done. This is not worth it for 8,500. This is just insane that I worked all the, these hours over the course of a year. And it, it boiled down to literally working for pennies an hour. So, um, said something's got to give. So, Knowing what I knew about flat fees and how I could sell that, which I had done for with some success for several years, knowing that I need a percentage capture for the scope of an event that increases over time, as this wedding does, did, and inevitably other weddings would, um, but then also knowing that I needed to somehow account for labor without, um, without time tracking, because in the law, you are, as an attorney, always responsible for keeping track of literally every six minutes of your day. You have to write it down, what you did for every six minute increment, who it was for, what client it was, and that is maddening. And I did not wanna go into that world again. So I needed to come up with a way to get compensated that covered sort of all of these bases in one. So I came up with and wanted to test out for that following booking season, this was in 2015, a three-part pricing structure. Um, a planning and design fee, which would be a flat fee um, due in full at the time of the signing of the contract. A production fee, which is a percentage on the cost of all contracts, whether the client booked that particular vendor or, or I booked, it didn't matter. Um, that would help cover that, that sort of scale um, and scope that I needed to capture and come on. And then an event management fee for the labor piece. 
knowing that the sum of all of these um, tiers of my fee would equal well above 8,500 and whatever else people were charging in my market. Um, I think the highest person at the time was sometimes charging around $10,000 a flat fee. Um, this tier um, at the time put me well into the first wedding I booked on it. I made six figures off of this pricing structure on one event. Um, wow. So that's huge, but it also really like launches me into a whole other um, place in my market, which is not a luxury market in New Orleans here. I guess I should have said I'm, I'm in New Orleans. Um, we are a very solid, lovely market with one foot occasionally in the luxury threshold. <laughs> um, so we have a couple luxury events a year um, and sometimes I get them and sometimes they don't and that's fine. Um, but most of our events are lovely. And the difference to me is, a, is definitely a price per person. Um, so a lot of people will ask, well, how much, how much was that event overall? What, what did they spend all in? And to me that I dislike that question because it's not super informative as to what went into that particular event. You can have an amazing event for $75,000 um, that is hosting only 20 or 30 people. Um, you can have a very, um, uh, a, a, a very approachable and, and, um, pedestrian event, like lovely, but nice, but you know, just sort of a, what you would see, it's not going to blow you away necessarily on all of these different installations and things. It would be, um, nice to say a $600,000 event is always going to be an astronomical like, experience. But if you have 600 guests or 700 guests, that's not a lot of, you know, money per person that's going to make that event necessarily good. So what I look for is a per person spend to determine um, sort of where a client comes to me. And that's sort of how I've marketed my business too. I have two separate brands. One is a lovely brand. I call it Ruby and Pearl events. Um, and then one is a luxury brand, Sapphire events. Um, so if a client comes to me and says, we have a budget of $100,000. And we're hoping that about 80 people will come. If my threshold for Sapphire events is around $1,000 spend per person or 1200 per person, that's a very good potential Sapphire bride for me. If they come to me and say, we have $100,000. And we are planning for 200 people to come. That's different. So $500 per person spend is definitely a, a lovely wedding. Um, so anything between sort of 400 to 600 plus dollars per person, I think is lovely. And anything in the 800, really the 900 hovering around $1,000 per person and up is luxury. Ultra luxury is 2500 per person um, and up. So there are different thresholds that people meet. If it's below 400 per person to me, that's a DIY wedding because if you're hiring professional vendors who are licensed and insured and know what they're doing, um, then they're charging for that service appropriately, you would think. 
and um, they are going to definitely put you in that at least $400 per person threshold. So that's a lot of numbers and a lot of different um, criteria for, um, you know, sort of different kinds of events. But I knew if I was going to start pricing my Sapphire services for full service planning in this way, I would still have to capture a more volume based business, which the lovely market certainly is. That is a lot more um, events that are, you know, in that threshold of 400 to 600 per person than you would find at $1,000 per person, at least in this market. Wow, that's a lot of numbers. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So like, I, I didn't just come up with this model, like in my sleep or anything, I, I sat down and really crunched numbers um, over, you know, several weeks, I consulted with a lot of people who advise um, creatives in the wedding space. Sean Lowe is somebody that I, I leaned on quite heavily with my ideas and my thoughts about this pricing structure. I listened to countless people talk about not only their struggles in their business, but how they um, price and charge. And there, at the time in 2012 and 2013, when I was first going and educating myself heavily, there were not a lot of people openly talking about price at all. Um, I just listened with ears wide open to pick up on things that, and then go home and sort of figure out, okay, what did they mean by that? How, how, how are they achieving this? It must be X, Y, and Z. And then down the road, as people started loosening up and talking a little bit more about pricing, including these first speakers that I listened to, it was like, oh yeah, so that makes sense. That is what they're doing. Um, but it, it took a lot of number crunching for me to realize, like, how is this all going to fit? Um, mostly so I can be profitable as a business, because I don't have the luxury of this being a hobby for me, or just sort of a fun side gig to my trust fund that I'm receiving in the mail every month. No, I have to work to live and I need my business to be profitable in order to do that. So, you know, I just realized that when I was starting out in 2008, it's the same, same, same yeah. concept. When I started to think about going into business, you know, the, the, the only way that you could find the prices since I do wedding videography, the only way you could do find the prices are to ask or pretend to be like someone inquiring because no one's posting their prices on their website and there's right. no like industry standard. So trying to come up with pricing is really meticulous work. You really have to calculate every single thing, which you pretty much did. But more than anything, when you were talking about when you were starting out, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because it really sure. hit it home. When you were talking about when you were starting out, you wanted to change the game and your goal was to sell the business that that i i feel like that's the important part of having of establish trying to establish a small business is you have to know that you're offering something different to the industry that will change the game and at the same time you build a business always to sell it just so you know that oh i'm i'm profitable or oh, i'm not really making any money you know right I mean, that's, that's what we have to be doing this for some reason. Right. And uh, I guess everybody has different um, overhead. When you go down to numbers and running a business itself, everybody has different expectations for overhead, for rent, 
for payroll, for cost of goods, all of these different things, time investment, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, if we aren't aiming first and foremost to make our business profitable, then what are we all, what are we doing this for? Why do we even get out of bed? You know, um, because there's a lot of other things I could do for 50 cents an hour that would make me, <laughs> you know, really happy yeah. still. Like the wedding industry does make me very happy. Um, but if I'm only making pennies on the, on the dollar, uh, then I, I have to justify taking that time away from my family, taking that time away from myself and, um, you know, time stops for no one. So I don't get these days back and these years back. What am I going to do when I'm 65 and I'm sitting on my porch watching the sunset saying, I lived a really good life working 47 weddings every year for the last 50 years or whatever, you oh know, I know that would be terrible. I would yeah. be so sad and I probably wouldn't be alive, honestly, at that age. <laughs> that's what I did. But, um, you know, I want to retire and I want to watch my kids grow up and I want to be present in their lives. And I want to set an example for them about what hard work gets you. And um, I need to be responsible with that. I have people watching me. And um, as I've, I went around the country when I developed this pricing structure, I went to 19 different cities and taught this structure and how to write your contract and how to have a design process surrounding it and how to, sell it to clients. I taught people in um, my industry how to do this in 19 different cities. And so it sort of started this like community basis of people that really, really want to achieve profitability in their business. Um, but we're in the same position we all were in where there wasn't a manual that said, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to, to achieve profitability um, in this industry we don't have to get a terminal degree in wedding planning in order to enter the workforce. There's a very low barrier of entry into the field. I'm sure it is for you as well with videography. I know it is with photography. Um, so we're unique in that there isn't a license that we have to get to practice what we do. Anybody can show up with a camera and call themselves a photographer. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and anybody can show up with a, a clipboard and a cell phone and say that they're a wedding planner um, or whatever, uh, an iPod and call themselves a DJ. I mean, you can really apply it to just about every line item in our business. So that's a challenge for us because you have these novices that come in, they don't know what to charge. They, they have no idea. And there really isn't a, a, a standard of the industry. Like you said, that's teaching people. This is what we need to baseline make to be a serious business. Um, and that's harmful to the true creatives who are doing it because they love it. And this is their art. Uh, it's also really hurtful to the perception of the value we deliver in the minds of our clients who think that, um, like, for example, a wedding planner should be a coupon book and get them discounts everywhere, left and right, and just pass along discounts that they might receive from vendors or right onto the client. And that's not how we are supposed to operate either. So it really does a huge disservice all over the place, but I'm on a mission and I always have been to be transparent, to be open, to share with my community, including my competitors, um, what it is that I charge. And, um, 
you know, it sounds crazy, but it has really made a difference over these last several, four years now. I can't believe I started this four years ago, but there's a lot more uh, productivity in, um, in the planner side of things because we're talking about making money much more openly than we ever were before. Exactly. You know, this is why I started the podcast because I, I, I just feel like, and let me know what you think about this too, because I, I feel like social media has changed the way people perceive success and the taste, people's tastes have become different. Like, um, I, I feel like people, the gauge of people when it comes to success has become followers and likes as opposed to what's really behind the curtain. You know, how much money do you have in the bank? Because we're right. small businesses. And that's why I wanted to do the podcast because I want to invite people to teach other people that, you know, being uh, creative in the wedding industry is great, but it's tough to make money and save money. Like there's, those are two totally different things. And that's why I appreciate you doing this because d just making sure that people can hear what you have to say and to inspire them to make sure that, oh crap, I need to make sure that my pricing is right. I'm charging the right amount and I'm covering my butt, you know, with everything that I need to do. Yeah, it's, uh, that's something that I, um, I understand having been there, uh, an ingenue in the business, didn't know what she was doing at one point. I mean, we all start from somewhere, right? And I think that it's a mistake to operate your pricing based solely out of fear of, oh, well, they'll never, they'll never book me at that rate or they'll stop booking me and I have to have a full calendar. Like operating out of a fear is not a good reason to set your price to be what it is. Um, charging $500 or $50 less than what your next door neighbor charges is also a very poor strategy um, because you're, you don't know what their overhead is. Like they might have that price set the way it is because they don't have a lot of overhead. And if you're just undercutting them barely by a little bit, but your overhead is more, you're never going to get your head above water with that. So you can't look to your neighbor <laughs> to, to set your price either um, because their situation is altogether different from yours. You have to value your position in the business, your art, what it is that you deliver, what makes you special and put a price tag on that that compensates you for those things make it worthwhile to get out of bed in the morning um, because you know that you're charging what you're worth and it also the most important thing is it serves to show clients potential clients those that are buying into our service and our work and our product that this is the value of what it is that you're getting from me um, it, i am worth every dollar and more and um you know when a client declines working with us, which happens quite a bit, actually. I'm totally okay with that um, because it means that for whatever reason, we aren't a good fit. And that's fine. I, I have to come a long way to learn to accept that. But if they say you're too expensive as the reason that they don't want to work with me, they never were my client to begin with. Never. Because I see myself as you know, a Tesla in a Honda world. And if they're coming looking for Hondas or like 
model cars, then they never wanted to, to buy a Tesla in the beginning, in the first place. So I don't need them to book me. But if somebody values what it is that I do and what I am and what a Tesla has, you know, as, as part of its special sauce and they w are willing to pay for that, that is my ideal client. And I think that's a, the big difference between luxury and lovely in the market space is luxury. Everybody wants to know how to break into the luxury business. But here's the thing. Luxury is not for everyone. Um, it's not for every service provider. And there is so much more business in the lovely market than there is the luxury market because that's like the top 1% of all weddings. Um, but there's a whole other expectation and ball of problems that comes with dealing with the luxury market that, um, you know, you, you have to be prepared for ahead of time. You can't deliver a lovely service model to a luxury client. They are expecting a lot more out of you for that. So um, if somebody comes and says, we, we loved meeting you, uh, we think that you're great, but you were too expensive, inherently they're not your client. I love that. That's great. So I, I want to backtrack a little bit more because yeah. we were talking about like uh, charge what you're worth, right? And you, you need to know what you're worth. So I'm, I'm going to ask from the point of view of someone who's starting out, like, how important is pricing when it comes to to me if I'm starting out? Like, Because I know that pricing is going to be part of your brand. So how important is that? And what do you think a person who's starting out should do when it comes to their pricing? Sure. So there's going to definitely be a learning curve when you first break into the business versus when you're three and five years in. Uh, and more. So when you start, your instinct is probably to figure out who's charging the lowest in your industry and in your market and then charge just below that person. Um, you know, that has all sorts of problems all over the place for ever getting out of that rut. I mean, once you start out that way, you, it's, it's going to be a very steep hill to climb to get to raising your prices where it's, um, it's going to uphold your value down the road. So what I recommend doing is your homework first and not just price fishing, what your you know competitors are doing. Um, that is informative to a degree, but what you really need to understand as uh, a videographer, for example, or um, a photographer, whatever you may be in the world is what is the value of what you're delivering to that person are you um are you the only person that can that can work what you do on that day um and if you are the only person that can deliver you can only do work one event a day then your price should be at a, a higher premium because you are exclusive if you can say if you're a stationer and you can do um you know more than one job you can work on more than one job a week um, because paper products, you don't personally have to be there in one place at one given time, then your price uh, reflect that. But um, think about what your special sauce, what makes you different. And it might take you a while to discover that um, aspect about yourself and your business. Once you get into it, it's kind of a chicken and the egg argument. What comes first? Knowing what your value is before you work with clients or working with clients first and then discovering it down the road. Um, but you should not apologize or be afraid of in 
entering the business with a high price. Um, you should not worry about what other people in your market are charging and letting that hold you back from charging what you think your service or product is worth. Um, because the market might be woefully uninformed. Um, and, and don't be afraid to be that person that changes things. So I guess really just dive deep into your heart of hearts, what it is that's going to get you out of bed in the morning, what the value is of your perspective and your deliverable and your service and price yourself at the highest value you possibly can um, for your perspective. Clients don't care really how long you've been in the business. They don't care if you came in a week or two ago or 10, 20 years. That's less important to them than what is it that you are offering me? What do you bring to the table that I have to have? And they value that intrinsically, especially this the millennial clientele right now and then the upcoming Gen Zers um, that have yet to be named. Like those people want to know what is your value and what are you giving me um, that I just can't possibly walk away from right now. So charge yourself appropriately. You know, you're one of the rare people that I've seen that started out with a high price. And, you know, evidently, you, you just you just demonstrated, you just showed us that, yeah, it's true. It, the couples, they don't care if what your experience is as long as you deliver, right? right. So I really appreciate that. And my only fear, I, I want to tell you what my fear is, because I, sure. was, I was listening to a podcast earlier, and he was saying that, you know, when you, when you try to establish your brand, make sure that the things that you post on your website is what you're trying to shoot for. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm doing that because we're trying to get more of like the happier brides, people who actually are excited to get married. Right. You know, and also, but he was saying, you always... Look at yourself as, like what you said, you, you see yourself as a Tesla. And he was saying that he sees himself as a Lamborghini. But, you know, my fear is, how would I know if I'm already a Lamborghini? How would I know if I'm already a Tesla? And, like, being a creative, we're always so critical of our work. And it's hard for us to be like, you know what? I am a Tesla. <laughs> so it's, that's why I always, want, I always wanted to ask people that are in your situation and your stature that how do we find out our value? It's when you can look yourself in the mirror without apology and without sarcasm and smirking and anything and say, I, I am worth X, Y, and Z. Because if you can look in the mirror and say that, um, and, and you don't have like a tremble of fear about it, or a, a minutia of um, embarrassment or mistrust. Like if you can just shed all of the negative energy that surrounds talking about yourself, then that's when you know you've arrived. A per, uh, somebody that, that sees themselves as a Lamborghini, they, they just know that they're, they know it. They feel it, they live it, they breathe it. It is them. They wake up in the morning and say, I'm a Lamborghini and they walk out the door. Um, so that's what, that's what happens. It takes time to develop that uh, level of confidence. Um, if you can uh, come into the business and on your first day, you have that level of confidence already. That is brilliant. Bottle that stuff up and start selling it as your side hustle because so many people could use that. 
But when you know what your value is, you can talk about yourself and your service and your belief system and the why you are in this business. You can talk about the why without apology and without fear and knowing that you're not for everybody. So um, you don't want all the business. You just want the right business for you. And you want those people that are believing in you to feel that way about you and to feel that confidence and believe in you. And there's nothing else that's going to take away from that for them. Least of all your price. Um, They're happy to write those checks to you. So that's when you know is when you are at that level of confidence about what it is that you can bring to the table. I love that. I love that you you really need to accept. I think it's it's something that we've discovered too was you know, you need to learn to accept that not everyone is your client and it it really changed the way we approach people and it changed the way we approach our our peers and it's really helpful. I love it. So, I want to ask you for someone who so let's say I already established my brand, right? But I want to I want to move forward, but I kind of got branded to be this kind of videographer. Like there's there's a I I've been seeing a lot of videographers that have been I don't know if you should call it like stereotyped, but that's pretty much the the um the kind of clients they always get. But when I talk to them, they're like, you know what? I really want to get out of this, this, this market because it's not something that I want to do anymore. <laughs> so, right. so what advice can you give for someone? Because I, I, you know, they do like high end stuff too, but they really want to go to a different direction. Is there a, is there like a something that they need to do? What advice would you give to someone like that? But before we get into that, I just want to thank you for being a loyal listener. You don't know how much it means to me that you're listening right now and I can share with you something that I'm passionate about. If you enjoy the content that I'm bringing every week, I just want to remind you that the Wedding Video Boss podcast also has a Patreon page where you can pledge as low as $1 to show your support and keep the show going. There's different tiers which gives you different perks like transcripts of all the episodes. This is for those who don't have time to listen for an hour. A Facebook community to share and give business advice for photographers and videographers. Also, extra episodes just for the hardcore fans. Just go to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash weddingvideoboss or click on the link in the show notes. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to whatever we were talking about. Sure. Well, there's always there's always an opportunity to reinvent yourself as a business. You own the business, so you get to make those um, executive decisions about what direction you want to go, where, and when. Um, and if you find yourself in that place of not being inspired by the work that you're doing or being typecast into one, um, style or way of working, take a step back and start putting things out there that are just really inspiring to you aside from your, your own work. Start sharing with people the things that you really love. Um, even if you're just walking down the street and you stop and you see this amazing 
like, you know, mural or um, um, spray paint art, you know, graffiti tagged on the wall. And you're like, gosh, I love and appreciate the value of what this artist did. It's, you know, it's graffiti, it's whatever, it's sort of mundane, but the art in itself is what really inspires me today. Like put that out there in the world, things that are inspiring to you now in this present moment, and you will start attracting people that are also appreciative of those same sort of points of inspiration in your, in your daily life. Then I would also, as a corollary to that, encourage you to educate yourself as to what's happening now. What are the changes going on now? Not just um, necessarily in our own business, but look to the stock market changes, look to the temperature of business in general, um, put on CNBC, I guess, you know, just sort of be aware of how our world is shifting around us because you're going to um, need to be relevant, not just today, but tomorrow. So if you're getting in this sort of stale state of the style, um, perhaps it is indicative of you becoming very complacent because things are really good for a while. And now styles have shifted, tastes have shifted, clients have changed. The atmosphere is not like it used to be. You need to be able to pivot and shift into whatever the next new thing is. So educating yourself on that, zoom out from your bubble of, what it is that you specifically are doing and look at the world around you and get inspired because that's going to help you carve your new path, inform your transition from one style into the next. And then sharing those things with the world is going to attract people that are like-minded that want to push you farther into that creative zone, into that next sort of style. But the second you become complacent in yourself and your work, that's the second you become obsolete. So you have to be wary of that and keep pushing yourself forward. Okay, that's a great answer. I appreciate that. So now that I have decided to pursue the market that I want to grab, right? Are there any pricing advice that you could give people when it comes to when they're like, should I do a la carte? Should I do five tiers of pricing? Should I do two? Is there like a... a Anything that you could give them, like uh, generally speaking, based on yeah. your based on your experience, the the fewer uh, different kinds of service levels and packages you can offer, the better. The more you put out there, package A, B, C, D, E, and F, that is inviting your potential client to nickel and dime the heck out of you. I want this, but I don't want that. Why am I paying you this price for your C package when I can get it all for much less money for E and just add on one other thing? It invites the novice potential client to then dictate what your services should be worth. And that's no position. You don't want to be in that position at all. Um, so what you should do is try very hard to boil down everything that you do into as few service options or products as possible. Um, one to serve if you're going after two different markets, one to serve each market. I got rid of partial planning completely as an example when I changed my pricing structure and opened Sapphire events with the sister company, Ruby and Pearl, to offer event management for those clients that came to me looking for day of and month of, 
Um, and then Sapphire events for those looking for full planning. And if anybody asks for me from me for what is your partial planning and say, we don't do it, but this is what you probably need. Um, and, and start steering clients toward that. It, when in the planning world, when I offer partial planning, it is an excuse for clients to get you for full planning at a discounted rate. Uh, the clients are going to go for that middle package every time because they see it as more of a value because they're getting more out of you for less dollars. So if you eliminate that option and you have very clear start and stop points for what your services are, um, then you're less likely to be taken advantage of. Um, but yeah, the fewer services, the better. And the more you really strictly outline what is involved in each, the better. You don't want any gray areas and you want the gap between each to be finite and grand. <laughs> um, it, there's no other way to explain it. So that actually makes sense. You, you got to keep it simple, but at the same time, you got to strike them because what we did with ours is we have three. We have our bare bones package, which is how we get the couples in the door. And we have like our most extreme, most expensive package, which is at, uh, I think it's at 12,000. And so the, the way that we, we structured the pricing was so effective that, I mean, no one ever books the 12,000, but they always book the package that we want them to book, which is the mid one. And it, it's just great because they get to see the value of our work and the value that they're getting, you know, without being confused with everything that they see. Right. It's very important to being, to be super clear about, you know, what each tier of your services is. Um, clients, if you, if you have three services, they're naturally going to gravitate toward the middle one because they like Goldilocks and the three bears. I think the first one is too little or not enough. And they think the other one is too expensive or too much more than they need. And they feel good about a deal. So naturally the middle choice, psychologically speaking, um, from the consumer standpoint is going to be the more attractive one. So uh, if you know that what you're offering in that middle price point is actually your most profitable for what it is that you're giving, then price, if you have it priced right, you're going to make more money off of that because that's the one that people are going to book the most. Um, just because your higher package costs more doesn't necessarily make it more profitable. So there is a difference to that. But um, yeah, in the, in the psychology of sales, the middle package is the one that clients are going to be drawn to. And if it, that is your most profitable, then you're going to win every single time um, at the end of the day. So are there any other psychological pricing tips that you could give that that has helped you um, or has helped other people that you know uh, book more higher end packages? Um, uh, yes. So aside from what I've already talked about, just eliminating all of the fluff and the a la carte, um, you know, build, build the a la carte pricing in to your services and talk, talk about that as an added value point to clients rather than offering a la carte piecemeal, you can order off the menu here kind of, um, delivery in your sales pitch. That's huge. Number one. 
Um, number two is um, in, in the actual price itself. I have a friend that does this and I, I've talked to her time and again about not doing this, but if you're delivering a service, um, you don't need to be $12.99, you know, a dollar off of $1,300 or $1,450, you know, $50 less than $1,500. That is nonsense. If you are delivering a service, make it a nice fat round number, okay? You don't need to play games with, um, you know, $0.99 cents as the sales price. That, that psychology doesn't work for services as it does for, buying a TV at Best Buy, you know, on sale. When it's when you're talking about a product, that psychology works really well. And that marketing is um, spot on for somebody that's buying a physical item that is a commodity. We don't want to commoditize ourselves as artists. And whatever your flat rate is, or your percentage, whatever it is, it needs to be one nice round number. Otherwise it looks arbitrary and arbitrary pricing builds distrust between you and your clients. So um, don't be afraid, just put it out there. This is what it is. Um, don't be afraid to say unlimited hours of service on wedding day. Some of the best photographers that we work with and not to say that they're the most famous ones, but some of the best ones that we enjoy working with the most as planners offer our clients their highest end um, service level for photography includes all day on wedding day. They, I mean, really, realistically, a photographer is not going to shoot all 24 hours of a Saturday. That's insane. But they get there when they need to get there to shoot and they leave when it's appropriate to leave, when there's no more content left to shoot, but they're going to, they're all in. And the clients love that because that shows that that photographer is there for the right reasons. Is there because of the art, not because of the time on the clock. So the more all inclusive your service levels can be of all of the things that you offer on, on the big day, especially your higher end clientele is going to really appreciate that because they don't, want to feel like they're missing something that they haven't thought of. Um, and, and on your end, you don't want to be nickeled and dimed for every last little, Oh, by the way, that's additional. That's, that's an add on service. If this is what it is all in one big fat round number. Well, you know, I've, I've never thought of that because I've always been like, when it comes to people saying all day, I'm like, why would you say that? Be it's just going to be so hard for you because you're, we're already leaving and you're still there and you're doing nothing because we, we've seen a lot of like photographers who do that and they just stay there. They're like, I kind of have to be here still. But I'm like, you already got whatever you needed. So I've always been like iffy about that. But it makes so much sense when you said that, that you're there for the art. And my, I guess my question is, isn't there going to be like a disadvantage in telling clients? I mean, from your from your uh, experience, isn't there going to be a disadvantage when it comes to telling your clients, I'm going to be there all day? And have, have you ever had like situations where they're like, hey, why aren't you here yet? Or why are you leaving so early or something like that? 
Um, so that's a great question. I don't, I think it's all in the way you present it to the client. I don't tell my clients, guess what? You have me all day. Remember I'm here all day. And by the way, you have me all day. I don't tell them that because I mean, then you're asking them to like text you starting at 1201 AM <laughs> Friday night until, you know, midnight the next night. No, I tell them where they, this is when, this is when we're, we plan to arrive and here's why. Um, as a planner, we will get to the bridal suite about an hour before the photographer is scheduled to get there. So we can assess the room. We can get all their personal details together. We can sort of pick up around the room where the best light is so that the photographer's not shooting into an unmade bed or water bottles all over the credenza, et cetera. So I tell them we get there in your room about an hour before the photographer and here's why boom done. But just because you don't see us doesn't mean we aren't working. We have another team that's dispatched at your ceremony or reception site overseeing load in um, with your vendors that are starting at 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever it is. Um, so they need, they need to know about, I guess, the process of the why we are doing this the way that we're doing it. Um, but, you know, there there's naturally um, a limit on what you're going to have to do on a day. As a photographer, I would hate to know that a client bought you for an eight hour package of time and you're just standing around at the end of the night because they don't have an exit and you have an hour and a half left to shoot and people are already drunk and sweaty and there's really nothing artistic about what you're seeing, but you have to stand around because you have to be there. Um, you know, if you've already shot all the good stuff by that point and you've shot plenty of the reception and the people dancing, et cetera, like nobody's going to put in an album, the pictures of them getting, you know, trashed on the dance floor. Like the, there's no good work left at a certain point either. So you explain to your clients, like we're there, we we're there to get the job done. We're also there for our art and we're going to deliver the best possible product for you. That's all they need to know. You know, it's it's terrible if a client is feeling this kind of pressure to say, well, they left left 15 minutes early. That's not on their contract. I'm going to want a refund. You know, if you just take that out of the whole equation, just say we're there all day. All day is all day. That's worth shooting. It's not, you know, 24 hours. So, OK, that makes so much sense. And I, I, I feel like now I really. I need to rethink how how we're going to do this because that that makes so much sense and I I love that the couples are going to see you as a, this person who really cares about the wedding, you know, and it's probably going to transform your brand as well. So Exactly. So I have a a bunch of random questions I was just writing and this Shoot. might be a this might be like a a part that we could probably edit out just in case <laughs> just in case you don't want to answer it but okay, okay. <laughs> i just noticed that there are videographers who get into the luxury um the luxury market but at the same time they 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 keep like a sister company just like with wedding planning and photography you know like a two different companies to cater to two different markets how do you feel about that I think it's a very smart move. Um, it's scaling your business appropriately. You know, I, I don't go to Ruby and Pearl events unless it's a very special reason. Like it's a friend or family member or a legacy client of somebody who we got married. Um, we married off in the past and it's a sibling or something. I, I 
have a personal connection to the family. I don't show up to those events. Um, and those clients who book us under that sister company, that sort of lovely brand don't, they don't expect to see Valerie Garnhauser at all. They never talk to me. Um, not even in the sales part of the process. So there's a very clear arm's length, um, you know, advantage to that for me because I am reserved for our Sapphire brides. Same thing with videography. I think it's a very smart move because you have clients who still want your brand. They want your philosophy. So we've tied our two businesses, Sapphire and Ruby and Pearl together as a sister brand. Some planners have a similar situation in having two companies, but they completely separate the fact that the two are related or owned by the same person um, and to each his own. But for me, I want the reputation and everything that we've built up under Sapphire events to carry over to our sister brand so that the trust and reputation that we've built is built in with that um, Ruby and Pearl clientele. Um, same thing with videography. If you have um, you reserve for your higher end luxury, um, bigger bookings as the artist and the visionary and the owner and creative director, um, then they're paying a premium to have you there and you can't possibly be everywhere. Um, but if you have a lovely brand, that's somebody that's buying in at a more, more of a volume rate than your luxury business. Um, and they, they're buying into that secondary business because they believe in it since the reputation carries over from your main brand and the art and the vision is similar, but they don't necessarily have to have you per se. They want your vision um, and they want your, your, your sort of stamp on what you've built as two different brands. As long as they're consistent, that's honestly like, I think people overthink what clients are actually doing in this, in the purchasing part of the process. Um, you don't have to, you are not so important that people have to buy you, you, you all the time. You are as one person, they, they just want a quality product that they believe in and can trust at the end of the day. And however you can sell that and deliver that to them, they're going to buy it. Um, but it, you know, take the pressure off of yourself to be the one that is there. I think it's a brilliant way to scale your business. The, yeah, that's exactly how I looked at our business is. But at at the same time, it's just me being like a creative. Like, I don't really deserve to have my name in a company. That's why <laughs> That's why I started with Boffo Video instead of Paul Santiago Videography. Because it, I, I guess because also uh, I, I read from Seth Godin about you know, when you start a business, you, you have to start it with um, intention to sell. So I'm like, you know, it's easier to sell if it's not my name. So so anyway, yeah, that's a great point because I feel like as long as the the values are consistent, it does it shouldn't it shouldn't matter. Right. It, it has to be the brand that you have and the service that you're going to give. Exactly. So my next question is this is a little a little uh controversial because it, it currently I've been hearing this around the buzzing around the industry when it comes to vendor commissions like people in different areas here in California they have a different way of referring other people and some you know some ask for a commission some just offer but they don't take or some just don't take at all. So what's your take on that when, when vendors 
ask for and offer commission? So I think this is a fantastic topic and I could do a, an entire like season of podcasts on this <laughs> entire like discussion about commissions. Commissions and kickbacks, first of all, two totally different things, right? Okay. A kickback is just to be clear, because I've seen a lot of it, you know, uh, getting buzz around various forums online and things that I'm a part of too. Kickbacks are money that's handed from one person to the other person under the table without the client knowing with the intention of earning somebody's, um, you know, loyalty or continued business or what have you. Um, but generally it, uh, may or may not necessarily be at the detriment of the client. Um, but I think it is, uh, inherently not a cool thing to do when the client doesn't know that money's exchanging hands that they don't know about. Okay. Now I realize that people have to get paid, um, to make money. And that's one way that uh, a lot of people in the business for many, many years have been getting, um, you know, their business um, taken care of, so to speak. Okay. I get that. Kickbacks are a huge detriment to our industry and to the client themselves. Okay. Um, and I'm not afraid to say that, that probably ruffles some feathers, but I, I think it's true. The millennial client and for sure the Gen Z client that's right behind, they are super savvy to how people do business. And I mean, it's not just our business that has this, you know, any underhanded practices and sort of uh, paying one person to the next. Um, but they, they don't they don't want to play with that. They want trust. They want transparency and honesty. And they want to know where every dollar is going. They're going to pay to know where every dollar is going because they trust in the value of that brand. All right. Commissions are different. Okay. Commissions are earned uh, by a vendor and they are open there. They should be at the very least open and out in the air. Okay. So I'll use my business strategy as an example, how I price. The reason I price, with my flat fee and my percentage and then another flat fee for labor is so I can tell my clients, this is exactly where all of your money is going to pay me. I'm not getting paid by anybody else, by any other vendor under the table or otherwise. I'm not sending you vendors that send me money because I want to send you the very best vendors that are the best fit for you. Um, and, you know, notwithstanding, if they pay me uh, a kickback, I want you to have the best vendor team on the day up. That's right for you. Okay. So everything that you pay me is above board. And here is how it lives. there is uh, as two different situations that I want to talk about in the planner world, at least that I will um, talk about with my clients. And that is hotel commissions and then a wholesale discount that I received from suppliers. A wholesale discount is again, something I have earned from working with a supplier uh, over time, building a relationship of trust and loyalty from that person. I really trust their product. They'll do anything for me. I send them my business um, unless they don't have what I am looking for and then I'll go elsewhere for it. But I've earned a wholesale discount from a vendor, say a rental company, for example, and they will uh, pass that to me. And the last thing that I'm going to do 
is hand over that wholesale discount to the client and say, oh, by the way, here's your coupon at whatever rental company because chairs from them when I order them are going to be $2 off. That's not what I do because that inherently devalues the product to my rental company. And if they found out I was doing that to the general public, um, passing that wholesale discount directly to my client, they would, they would take that wholesale discount away from me because that person cannot walk in as, as a general population client, cannot walk into that re rental company and say, oh, I want this Shivari chair. And they say, oh, well, it's $12. Well, I had a wedding last year and my planner told me that your chair was 10 and I only paid 10. So why can't I get the chair for $10? Okay. So that's an example of how, um, I can't just go and pass that discount on to my client because they devalue that chair is a $10 chair to them. Okay. When in reality, it's, it's that much more expensive for my rental company to deal with. So what I do is I'll mark up the wholesale price of whoever, whatever my supplier has given me, I will mark up the wholesale price to retail to $12 or whatever they could buy it off this if they walked in off the street and I'll charge my client the retail price. Because if they were getting chairs and linens from their florist or chairs and linens from their catering company or the venue, each one of those vendors if, should be and, and is in a lot of cases marking up a wholesale price. Just because they're coming to me as the planner doesn't mean I owe them all of my wholesale pricing. So I'm going to charge retail for that. So my take as a wholesale slash retail provider of items and hard goods, I earned that. And it's a very small percentage of what the overall project is, but it's not the same kind of price they could go in off the street and get themselves. I earned it through my loyalty and my um, reputation, my work. So I should make a little bit of money off of that. Um, the uh, corollary to that is with hotels. In my production fee, which is a percentage, I take a percentage on the cost of all contracts over the length of the project, except for hotel rooms. Um, I, I will get, as a, as a planner, often, whether I ask for it or not, a hotel will send me a check for rooms that booked for an event that we did that we called and got the, the rates for, okay? Now, the client, if the client went and set up their hotel blocks, the hotel is never going to give the client a commission check for rooms that book. The, the hotel also, by giving me a check, does not increase the price of their hotel rooms so that they can give me a check. My check that I would receive from a hotel that gives commissionable rates does not affect adversely my client's room rates, but it's also a fee that the client is not ever going to get if they went and did this work on their own. That hotel gives it to me as if I'm a travel agent. It's a policy that they have. They do it for everybody, for all kinds of meeting planners um, across the country. So I don't take a percentage on any hotel rooms for my client, that my client has to pay me for, I'm not going to charge them that production fee because I know I'm getting or likely to get, not all hotels actually do it, but I'm likely to get a commission check from them anyway. So my work toward getting those hotel blocks set up is compensated for. Does that make sense? Yes. Actually, now I'm hearing that. I'm like, That's, that actually is great. But at the same time, I'm like, I think I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> you know, the grass is not always greener on the other <laughs> side. It's, um, it's not a lot of money. It's like 2% or 3% of rooms if they book. And honestly, I mean, so many people are doing Airbnbs and VRBOs and, you know, staying off of the um, list of hotels that we set up because they have loyalty points with the different brands. Like, I'm not talking about tons of money here yeah. from hotel rooms. You know, I'm not talking about tons of money I'm making off of this wholesale um, retail um, relationship I have with my suppliers. It's it's like barely going to pay uh, sales tax, you know, for my month or, you know, maybe maybe a portion of it will cover parking for me and my team on an event day. It's not a lot of money, but I'm upfront with my clients about that and those are the, really the only two exceptions to the rule. Like otherwise, if I've had, you know, certain vendors, uh, either we haven't worked together before and they want my business and they say, oh, we'll send you a $150 check if you refer us business. I don't want to do business with somebody just because they want to dangle a carrot in front of my face. I want to do business with people that are good, that are like-minded to me, that are a good fit for our brand. And will serve our clients well. And $150 check to me, I mean, I'm charging enough in my fee directly to my clients above board with transparency to get compensated well by them directly. I don't need vendors writing me checks to try and entice me to work with them. I want to know you personally. I want to know your work. I want to know we're going to work well together and you're not going to aggravate me or my clients. And I want to know that you're going to take really good care of my people by delivering the very, very best job that you can do. That's what's important to me. That's actually a great segue to my next question. And my next, cause my next question is, how do people like us approach you? Like planners like you who are more of like the luxury brand planners? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and one that people ask me quite a bit actually. So. Uh, as a planner, I'm at the top of the food chain, so to speak, where I'm the one that's doling out business to a lot, if not everybody else in the business is it trickles down. So people will come through New Orleans where my office is based and say, hey, I'm swinging by. Can I buy you coffee and pick your brain? And, you know, I used to take those appointments when I was newer because I wanted to network and get to know more people. Um, but it's, a, it's a very expensive cup of coffee for me that I didn't, you know, hand over any cash for to be taken out for an hour and, you know, spill my guts to somebody that wants to work with me. The best way to get my business is, um, of course, an introduction to, so to reach out over email is fine. Um, I'm really big on Instagram personally. And so a DM, if you slide into my DMs, that's like a really great way to get to know me, but to not talk business all the time, like just let's connect on a level that's not specifically wedding related. If I, if I really jive with you just as a person, if I think you're funny or we share the same sense of humor, I'm much more likely to send you business than um, if you just keep begging me for work all the time. Um, that's like kind of a big turnoff. So, um, another opportunity, although I don't do photo shoots anymore, but I know a lot of other planners, especially newer ones that are coming out into the business and really doing a great job very fast is to, um, do a photo shoot 
with a planner and offer to collaborate with them on a job for publication um, or for portfolio building, et cetera. That's a really great way to get to know somebody without um, a client sort of being in jeopardy and making sure that your relationship, your working relationship is really good. Um, and networking at social functions would be my last and probably best way to get to know me is to um, put yourself out there, walk up to a person that you've had your eye on, you know, say, oh, I'm so-and-so and I love your shoes. I heard your podcast and I thought this was really funny. I like Springsteen too, kind of thing. Like try and connect with, we're all people here. Try and connect on a personal level with somebody. Tell them that you're human because they're human too. And we're all, this industry can just get so isolating that, um, you know, I'm much more likely to remember somebody if I know that, you know, we get along and I want to spend more time getting to know that person. So let's book a job together so we can have this experience um, than, you know, sending me very expensive gifts in the mail that I didn't ask for, which are nice, but, you know, a bunch of very nice, um, you know, portfolio magazines of your work, which is amazing that everybody books online today and I can't physically show somebody your very nicely tailored and 20 page glossy magazine of your work. I'm going to show them your website. Um, you know, so I, I hope that answered your question. There's like a multitude of ways that we could go about getting to know each other to work together. That's actually great because I feel like social media has killed relationships that not even like, you know, like a boyfriend, girlfriend or it just killed relationships between networks, between like people and uh, people have been craving for human interaction so much more than any time. And I feel like that's exactly how you do it is just make sure you have a connection with a person. And from there, you know, without I, I think the most important thing is make sure you have a connection with a person. But at the same time, you're not there to be like hopefully she gives me work, you know? <laughs> right. It seems a little too desperate, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I appreciate the hustle and I, I'm a naturally, believe it or not, introverted person. Like I, I like to stalk people on social media before I go and actually put myself out there and introduce myself to them or meet them. And when I do, I'm like a bumbling mess because I'm just really socially awkward. But at the same time, like I do want to make friends and I want to have a bond with people because social media, it, it, it did kill relationships. It can, people don't know how to communicate in real life anymore. It's a lost art. And uh, I mean, I suffer from that too. So um, if you are well skilled in the ways of communicating and connecting with people like in real life, use that to your advantage because I, I want that. Um, and I'm sure there's tons of other people too that want that and will remember and connect with that on a, on a true personal level. And, um, and you know, you can make magic happen from there on. So that's great. Um, okay. I have one last question and this is probably one of the most, um, another controversial one is let me try to think how I'm going to say this. <laughs> so okay. what, what, what do you think about wedding magazines that post average pricings for wedding services as price guides? Do you think that 
it's harmful to the wedding industry since it alienates kind of like the higher higher price dwinders? Um, uh, well, I totally disagree with the publications that will publish incorrect, unscientifically col collected um, pricing information across the board as if it is, um, you know, a, you know, if, as if it's reality. Um, it's, you know, okay, so I, I'm trying to avoid naming the publications at large. Um, <laughs> it's like right on the tip of my tongue because they drive me nuts. But uh, yeah, I, it does a complete disservice to our industry. It is setting the expectation to uh, clients that otherwise don't know any better um, what it is that they should expect to pay for their event, having national averages or citywide averages or market averages for an average wedding in Houston, Texas is $35,000. But for what? Like, what is the criteria? How many people attend that wedding? Is that DIY? Is that with professional vendors? Is that like, there's so many variables. You cannot boil down pricing in our business at all to like, oh, this is this is the blanket price of what this thing is going to be for you, average Joe that's looking at this on the website. <clears throat> a lot of these um, publications are collecting this data by brides that are self-reporting, okay, not reliable, self-reporting data on what they spent on X, Y, and Z vendor. And also these brides and, and grooms and mothers of the bride and whoever that are responding to whatever surveys the publications are putting out there, they are on those publications and in the cycle of, um, again, trying not to name the publications at, at hand here, but they're in their sort of email list or whatever it is because they self-selected to go to those websites because they are inherently do-it-yourselfers. Even if they don't completely do-it-yourself, kind of, uh, you know, create their wedding from scratch all by themselves, they are looking for some, if not all, of the aspects of their event to be on a budget, on a shoestring, how can we knock this down to be as little as possible? And it is a wildly unrealistic expectation to apply that to somebody that intends fully to hire professional vendors um, from start to finish, happens to see that pop up in their feed. Oh, well, I'm planning a wedding. Let me see, let me click on my city and see what an average wedding is supposed to cost. Oh, $40,000, sounds peachy. And then they go and are blown away by the fact that there are 250 person seated dinner wedding with two different venues is going to cost them well more than that. Uh, like triple, if not um, quadruple in most cases. So yes, terrible, terrible, terrible that they do that. It's irresponsible as a publication with any clout um, as all of them have a lot of um, backing and uh, have been around for decades that are pushing this information into the general population. Um, it's exploitative of uh, information that is not accurate. And we are fighting against that every single day as, um, you know, people trying to make a living, you know, so. Yeah, you know, for an information website, that's, you're, you're right. It's very irresponsible because you People, especially here in California, whenever we show our prices or tell them what our prices are and they, they're just like surprised. I'm like, you know, you do know you're living in California, right? So it's it's so hard for for people to 
especially us, the people in the wedding industry, it's, I feel like by now, since they're doing this every year, I feel like it's just clickbait for people to just click on their site or whatever. Absolutely. It is. And uh, I mean, I mentioned this, I think at the very beginning of our um, podcast discussion today, but unless we can get to a place where we're talking about weddings in terms of price per person, none of this pricing discussion, general or otherwise, is going to make any sense or be applicable to anyone's wedding planning process unless we boil down to how much was that wedding per person? Because then it doesn't matter uh, that you don't know how many people attended that wedding specifically. Uh, You know how much it was per person. And that you can relate to. That's what a $250 per person wedding looks like on Pinterest versus that's what an $800 per person wedding looks like on Pinterest. Um, You know, as an example, I love Pinterest, actually. I don't think it's, um, you know, evil, like a lot of uh, planners really shy away from it. But I think the bigger problem that needs to be addressed, and uh, I would love to see the big publications take this on, is talking in terms of price per person and more scientifically gathering their data before they publish these reports as gospel um, would be amazing if we can aim for that in the next year. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Thank you for, thank you for that because it, it just reaffirms how everybody feels. I'm pretty sure. sure. Yes. Um, so before we, before we finish, I would love to ask you, I guess I would love for you to tell the listeners where they could reach you and maybe you could talk about a little bit about your um, your workshop. Sure. So if you're interested more in um, pricing specific to creatives in the wedding industry, I actually have a webinar online. Um, it's a six hour course. You can take it at your own pace and um, you can learn more about that if you join our Facebook group, Sapphire Sessions for Creatives where everybody um, that's in that group knows about my pricing strategy, my process. uh, And then we have a separate group for people who have actually taken the course. So if you do take the leap, we can get you in a community of people that are very supportive and can help answer any questions that you might have about that pricing structure. Um, That's on Facebook, Sapphire Sessions for Creatives. Um, My course is called Pricing for Profit. And um, in that group, I can send you a link if you DM me. I'm really actually amazingly efficient on social media, um, private messages, emails. I'm not so good at. So if you do shoot me an email and I haven't gotten back to you, that's, um, you know, it's uh, just a personal thing. I have four kids. So they, my hands are always holding somebody or cleaning something up. My email is Valerie at Sapphire Events. And that's Sapphire with two P's. You'd be amazed how many people spell it with one. That is two. I probably spell it with one too. (laughs) (laughs) It's everybody. So don't feel bad. Sapphireevents.com. And um, that's also my website is sapphireevents.com. So you can sort of look at our work and what we do. I have some videos on there. We're actually redoing our website right now. Um, It's been a long process, but we should be launching soon in the next a month or two with a whole lot of new amazing content. Um, but specifically some video content is on there now that might be of interest to you. Um, and a lot of good video content for the future too. And then, um, yeah, Instagram. Um, I'm very active on that. Our handle is at Sapphire events 
And uh, yeah, that's where you can see more about our daily lives, watch stories. We try and post a couple times a week there about what we're doing and um, uh, slide into my DMs. I love to start a conversation with people about random stuff. So I'd love to hear from you. Sweet. You know, this industry is so young that people still talk about design and flowers and how to get more likes and how to get more followers and equipment. So people people like you are actually great for the industry because you're you're elevating it to the right direction. So I really thank you, Valerie, for, for doing this. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm very passionate about our business being the best that it can be, our industry being the best that it can be. And uh, I'm here to help uh, bring it into the future. So thank you. So um, yeah, all the best. I'll, I'll talk to you soon then. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Have a good one. So that's it. Make sure when you present your pricing or you think about a strategy for your pricing, consider that there's no standard. You could price your service however you want it. Just make sure that the value you're bringing to the table is worth the price that your client is paying for. It would be great to hear your thoughts about today's episode, so please feel free to reach out. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and I'll see you on the next Wedding Video Boss podcast. Till then, play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good looking. Boss man out. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and I'll see you on the next Wedding Video Boss podcast. Till then, play nice if you can't win. Be nice, especially if you're good looking. Boss man out.